Welcome to the Kingdom Culture Church podcast. We hope you enjoy this spirit-filled message that it blesses your week and brings you joy and perspective. To connect with us, hop on social media and for more information, head to kingdomculturechurch.com.au. How are everyone? Everyone good? Great. Light the screen up. Okay. James, culture creator. We're in a season where the Holy Spirit's been speaking to us about the need to create culture, to strengthen culture, and to live culture. Culture that's just talked about doesn't really mean anything. And James really addresses this uh, in, his, in the letter that he writes in the book that we read um, that's ended up in the New Testament. So James was a culture creator. See, the thing about creating culture and culture creators is that they speak the truth when it's hard or not considered cool to do it. And we live in a world where, just like they did, and the church James was addressing, you know, it wasn't cool to address culture, it was cool to just sort of let things slide a bit. But we're called to make a difference in the world. And, but James is so wonderful because he actually gets right down to the nitty-gritty. And, um, and as I've read it, I've, I've walked away with... I used to read books like James and have this, which you might think is a bit strange, like a mild, I don't know, dread or a bit like, oh, this is impossible. But he's actually saying, you know what, you can do this. We can make this. You're not on your own. You've got the Holy Spirit to help you with these things. And he wasn't going in there berating them and saying, you bunch of idiots, you should be acting like this. He was saying, hey, we can do better. Hey, we can do this in the power of the Holy Spirit. I was thinking, Fred and Anna came back with this story, and I I don't want to exaggerate it or get it wrong, but I will attempt to say what happened in that church over there. They were talking to the pastors there, and they were saying, you've got an amazing culture here, because I think the whole church was worshipping from back to 10,000 or... 3,000? 1,500. 1,500. (laughs) As I said, if the codrel speaks, boot it out. 1,500, um, which is 1,500, not 10,000. But they worship back to front. But they said the the way that they, it took them three years. Now I'm going, I should get them up to tell the story. I'm going to, three years, yeah. But it took them three years of standing up at the front and dancing and raising their hands before people began to join them and do that. We have to, as a church, as individuals, but as a church, realize that culture creating, culture changing, and culture shifting has to become a way of life. And it has to be something that we're convinced about, not just, you know, yeah, if it were, you know. We at, it's, James addresses this so well because he talks about the need to be persistent, the need to hold the line. And so that's what this is so much about. And James, as I say, was, was encouraging and saying to people, we can make it without backing off. We can make it by the encouragement and the power of the Holy Spirit. So we're going to read James 1, verse 1 to 18. And if we haven't made it clear to you, I think we're going to get this out over social media. Each 
so the Sunday sessions are not going to be the same morning and evening. They're actually going to be different. So if you want to get the whole thing, you need to come to church twice on a Sunday. I think James would have approved. So we're going to read from the message. So I, James, am a slave of God, or some versions do say love slave. I am a love slave of God and the master Jesus, writing to the 12 tribes scattered to kingdom come. Hello. <laughs> Consider it a sheer gift, friends, when tests and challenges come at you from all sides. You know that under pressure, your faith life is forced out into the open and it shows its true colours. So don't try to get out of anything prematurely. Let it do its work so you become mature and well-developed, not deficient in any way. He's talking about patience. If you don't know what you're doing, anyone here sometimes don't know what they're doing? Oh, come on. Is there anyone here who sometimes doesn't know what they're doing? It's so funny because some, some people are like, yeah, it's Sunday, I'm tired and I'm not lifting my hand. That's okay. I will chip away at your resilience. If you don't know what you're doing, pray to the Father. He loves to help. You'll get his help. Isn't that great? And, he won't be and you won't be condescended to when you ask for it. Ask boldly, believingly, without a second thought. Just um, mentioned that this morning when we were praying. We need to pray believingly. We need to declare believingly without second thought. People who worry their prayers are like wind-whip wave. Wind wave. Don't think that you're going to get anything from the master that way, adrift at sea, keeping all your options open. When down and outers get a break, cheer. And when the arrogant rich are brought down to size, cheer. Prosperity is as short-lived as a wildflower, so don't, uh, don't ever count on it. You know that as soon as the sun rises, pouring down its scorching heat, the flower withers, its petals wilt. And before you know it, the beautiful face is a barren stem. Well, that's a picture of the prosperous life. At the very moment everyone is looking on in admiration, it fades away to nothing. Anyone who meets a testing challenge head-on and manages to stick it out is mighty fortunate. For such persons, loyally in love with God, the reward is life and more life. Anyone loyally in love with God in here this morning? Yes. Great. The reward is life and more life. Don't let anyone under pressure... <clears throat> so don't let anyone under pressure to give in to evil say, God is trying to trip me up. God is impervious to evil and he puts evil in no one's way. The temptation to give in to evil comes from us and only us. We have no one to blame but the leering, seducing flare-up of our own lust. Lust gets pregnant and has a baby, sin. Sin grows up to adulthood and becomes a real killer. I just think that is one of the most classic, <laughs> classic pictures um, that the message has to present to us. I mean, it's almost too... <laughs> graphic. <laughs> Vibrant. Technicolor HD. Netflix. So, my very dear friends, don't get thrown off course. Every desirable and beneficial gift comes out of heaven. The gifts are rivers of light cascading down from the Father of light. There is nothing deceitful in God, nothing two-faced, nothing fickle. He brought us to life using the true words, showing us off as the crown of all his creatures. Let's just pray. 
Father, as we start this series, we uh, just ask for your wisdom, we ask for your insight, and we ask you, Holy Spirit, to make this so livable, so workable in our lives. Lord, that we won't just tick off, tick a box and say we've done that series, but God, you would impact us weekly. Help us to understand your word in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Let me set the scene for you. James is writing a letter to a scattered church. It's 16 years after uh, Jesus uh, died and rose again. So James doesn't address in, in the book of James, the letter of James, he doesn't address in his letter the basic beliefs of Jesus Christ. So we know that he's writing to people with a foundation of faith in Jesus. But what he does do, he addresses culture and believers drifting towards no longer living a life full of the Holy Spirit, as do a lot of the other books. So he's, and there's nothing, when you think about it, church, like we have the Holy Spirit, but church does help us with, with the, the community of believers, help us to get our life, keep our life on track. Yeah. There is something about being with believers that we go, oh, you know, oh, I saw Cressida and she was just so praying for someone and she was so beautiful and she ministered to them and it, it does something in us. Yeah. It makes me go, you know what, I want to be like that. I want, to, I want to have that openness to pray for people or whatever, using anyone as an example. So he's addressing stuff very directly but very lovingly. It's one of the most practical books in the Bible and it can be summed up in one sentence, a big sentence but one sentence. So this sentence is, a faith that does not produce real life change is a faith that is worthless. Now, that's huge. A faith that does not produce real life change is a faith that is worthless. I mean, you could pack up and go home now and just go, oh, that's enough, really. But it's such a great, amazing thought. Faith has to be worked out in our lives and in our actions. What we do has to match up with what we're saying. What we do has to match up with what we're thinking. And, and, and so on. So he breaks it down, though, into seven practical life lessons, which we're going to teach over, and, and other things besides, but these are the sort of main thrusts of, a, of the next five weeks of the series, which will actually spread over seven weeks because of confidence and because of legacy uh, offering. But number one, these are the practical life lessons. Number one, true faith stands up under trial and pressure. I love this new screen. It's like... It's like mega doozy. True faith stands up under trial and pressure. Number two, genuine faith will motivate us to action. Number three, true faith will change how we talk. True faith will motivate and change how we think. True faith avoids worldliness to pursue godliness. True faith avoids the misprioritizing, misprioritizing and the misuse of earthly resources. And genuine faith motivates us to wait on the Lord. Challenging. It should challenge us. See, a preach or a church... The word of God should challenge us. 
to change, should challenge us to look at where we are. Not to leave us in the dirt, but James doesn't leave the church in the dirt. He actually says, you can make it. And that's what the Holy Spirit wants to say to us as we look at this over five weeks. So we need to realise something. That letters, so this was a letter that James wrote to a church that was scattered. We need to realise something. that Letters are always written from a certain perspective. They're written with a specific tone. It sets the vibe. Okay, it's important we understand James' headspace when he wrote the letter. Really important. So we're all used to emails and Twitter and all of this stuff. You know, so written letters have gone pretty much out of fashion, right? So life is faster, more immediate. When I moved to Australia, which was in 1985, it took 10 days for a letter to get from England to here. That's unthinkable now. 10 days. The writer could have died and been buried in that time. Morbid, but true. Phone calls were a dollar a minute. That's about $3 a minute now. <clears throat> Mobile phones for the masses were still 15 years in the future. Now, we don't have to generally spend much time interpreting emails that we get, or, you know, because basically if we don't understand the tone, we just ring the person up and say, what were you thinking? In 1985... When, for example, my mum would write, she would always preface her letters. So she would say sometimes, you know, she would set the tone. It's been a pretty difficult week or your dad's been unwell, money's tight. So don't take too much notice of what I'm writing. You know what I mean? It was, it, you set the tone of the letter. Or oh, life's great, we have visitors, the weather's beautiful. You'd know the frame of the mind and the context and what was flavouring what she wrote. So James opens this letter with this statement, I, James, am a slave of God. That was the backdrop. This is the place I'm writing to you from. I'm a slave of God. He uses the phrase on purpose. It was offensive then. It's offensive now. Like We think, oh, it's really offensive now. But actually, it was really offensive then because slaves were considered the lowest of the low because they didn't have a say in their lives. Somebody else did. And yet we shy away from a Christianity and a walk with God that Paul, Jude, Peter, James, and there's a few others, said, hey, I'm a slave of God. The apostles that we look up to. And yet in a way we go, oh, I don't want, I don't want to deal with that sort of stuff. I don't want to be a slave. It's time to examine our approach to Christianity, maybe we've got it a bit askew. You know, that actually we are slaves. You know, Jesus, you're not an add-on to my life, I'm an add-on to your life. (coughs) What was the point he was making? This letter, the Gospels, Jesus' words, only make sense if you're sold out to serve him. See, if we try and half live the gospel, we'll trip ourselves up. If we try and half live the gospel, we'll trip others up. You can't half live the gospel just like you can't half live your marriage, half raise your kids, or half do your job. You'll get sacked. It's all in or nothing. Beautiful surrender is where I want to be. I'm not going to sing it this morning because you can hear my voice. Beautiful surrender is where I want to be 
See, beautiful surrender. And this is what I love about the Holy Spirit because it's really brought comfort to me over the last few weeks as I've been studying this. Beautiful surrender or that position of being a slave is an ongoing position. And he's quite comfortable when we get uppity and we forget who we are and who that he's actually Lord in the relationship. And then we bring ourselves back in line. And we, we just know where, when we're humble, who knows that when we're humble and, and not trying to work our lives out, work everybody else's life out, how much easier life is. Beautiful surrender. Sometimes I can be so right about something, but my heart can be so wrong. Beautiful surrender is where I want to be. See, a bond slave, a slave, in Exodus 21, if you read it there, it's just a small verse, but a Hebrew slave, if a Hebrew became a slave to his, uh, and had a master, every seventh year he was free to go. Unless he decided that he loved his master so much that he actually wanted to stay in the culture of that house and lay aside the, the culture of his family. So he was free to leave, but he was also free to stay. But if he was free to stay, what he had to do was they, they would put his ear up to the doorpost and they would put a spike through his ear as a sign of ownership. And then they'd put an earring in, which was a sign of, hey, I don't no longer want to belong to my old culture. I actually want to belong to your culture. And, and I believe God is saying to us uh, in this season, hey, I want you to be part of my culture. Actually, will you leave what you hold so dear, which is actually rags and nothing, and take a hold of my culture and come and be part of my family? What I've realised is that Paul, Peter, John, when they wrote their letters to the church, they were they were addressing culture, creating culture. You know, the Corinthians there was all sorts of um, sexual um, inappropriation going on, and and so on, and, and and then anger was rampant, and all these things were rampant. In and they were saying, "Hey, we don't have to be like this. We're ha- we we have a heavenly culture. We have a kingdom culture. Our church, this church, is called Kingdom Culture Church. You know, and um." At the beginning, when we, we took it over, I was, uh, or became, sorry, took it over. When we became the senior pastors of the church, I toyed with changing it. Because I thought, this is such a hard, high thing to live up to. You know, it's quite interesting. It's a, like, I don't mean we should work for it. But actually, it's like, you know, if you're just called, I don't know, um, Joy Point Church. I mean... <laughs> It's sort of, it's, it's, well, you know what I'm saying. Sorry for anyone listening who belongs to Joy Point Church. Not, I'm praying that I haven't got a real one. Um, but you know what I'm saying? So it's a high calling. We're talking to the worship, uh, we were talking to, talking to the creative team on team night on Thursday and saying that it's a high calling to worship, to be worshippers. It's a high calling to follow God. It's not a, a drop, drop in, jump in, jump out, jump in, jump out, jump in. It's actually a high calling. It's a place 
of privilege, but it's a place of laying down your life as well. Um, anyway, but they weren't just trying to maintain culture, so keep it what it was. We've got to keep it like Jesus was when he was here. We've just got to... Uh, he wasn't batting down the hatches, boys, because the big bad devil's out to steal our culture. These guys, these apostles had the heart to create, influence, and develop culture. One of the joys of parenting is creating a family culture that works and is healthy for every stage of your child's growth. One of the joys of pastoring is creating a culture that works and is healthy for every stage of our church's growth. So our culture will develop and change and move and, and, and become incredible and expand and be amazing and it will be rich. It's not going to be rigid and in the sense of laws and all that. But the culture, because God, it's like the Holy Spirit hovers over a church's culture and it grows with the church. And that's what I'm looking at over the next few years is God is is building and breathing into our culture so that life comes out of it. And it's just a joy to be part of. Because he says, I will build my church, Jesus said. We have to think about this. So the picture of, is of a building being built. So I will build my church. That's a building. But we have to understand a building is just a framework. A building is just so that life can happen within the walls. A building is just a building. A house just defines, so where you live, your house just defines the place and the space where you can be a family together and can develop and grow your culture. And this is what James is saying. Hey, this is our home. It's up to us to develop the culture. He was saying the Holy Spirit, and I do believe that of us, that the Holy Spirit is saying, hey, let me help you build the culture. Let me inspire you to grow the culture. Let me inspire you to have a culture that is visionary and that is not affected and, and, and influenced by the world, but actually you get out there and you influence the world for good. So the second part, he goes on in, in um, verse 2 to 4. And he says, we're going to read it, but true faith, this is what they're summing it up, true faith stands up under tests, challenges, and temptations. So consider it a sheer gift. Everyone say, sheer gift. Sheer, sheer gift. Great. Consider a sheer gift, friends, when tests and challenges come at you from all sides. You know that under pressure, your faith life is forced out into the open. It shows its true colours. So don't try to get out of anything prematurely. Let it do its work. So you become mature and well-developed, not deficient in any way. So let's have a look at tests and challenges first. We're going to look at temptations later. Because James actually says we need to treat temptations differently to tests and challenges. Why? Because tests and challenges come from a good father who desires my character, wisdom and experience to grow and expand. Temptation is never from God's hand. Read James. And you'll know it's true. So I send Gabby to school. I know she will be tested on what she's learned. I expect that she will be tested. Heck, I demand that for the money we spend on her school, that she gets tested, because I want to know that she's learnt the syllabus and that she's growing in her knowledge. Yeah. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. 
So why do we get surprised when we are tested? Count it all joy. That's uh, the King James Version. Count it all joy or count it a sheer gift. You see, what he's saying is when things come at you from all sides, problems and challenges, tests that rise up, you're to count it joy. Now, it's a deposit of joy that you will draw on in the future. It's seeds of joy. This translation we're reading says sheer gift. Consider it a sheer gift. Who brings you this gift? Who brings this gift to your door like a supernatural Amazon delivery service? The Holy Spirit. It's the Holy Spirit. He will lead you into all truth. The Holy Spirit will only give you the things that you need. Jesus said he will give you the things that you need to be led into all truth. The Holy Spirit comes and he leads us into all truth. See, genuine faith looks at every challenge or difficulty as an opportunity to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And I'm not preaching from the converted, I'm preaching preaching from the learning. Genuine faith looks at every challenge and difficulty as an opportunity to to be filled with the Holy Spirit. I'm not standing up here having got a corner on this at all, but it's where I want to be. And I've learned a lot of this over my 58 years. It's also... Genuine faith looks at every challenge as a chance to encounter the Holy Spirit, to walk in the Holy Spirit, to grow and develop and to develop a deeper dependency on the Holy Spirit. See, the Holy Spirit is so much more than just chills and thrills. If we reduce the Holy Spirit to just an experience in church and encountering worship, thank you so much. It's, it's tea with a dash of brandy. <laughs> She's got a hip flask in her handbag. <laughs> anyway. Um, the power and effectiveness of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And I don't want to preach out of a place where I don't know where we're going because, and I need to stick to my notes, which is really, when you're teaching, it's really interesting because if you go off course, it actually stuffs up everything when you're teaching. But I will say the Holy Spirit has been hovering over something in Heather and my life that we believe we're taking the church into, which is the need to chase after the Holy Spirit. And I Sorry? He said awesome. He said wow. Oh, I thought you said what? I better have another sip. So... You see, if we just 
make them about chills and thrills. And don't, don't get me wrong, you know I love to see people touched by the Holy Spirit. That's not an issue for me. But James is saying, hey, don't just talk about this stuff. You need it deep, deep, deep in your life. And we'll get to that bit in a little bit more. You see, if we do that, he becomes less about the one who walks alongside the paracletus and more the one I call on when I need to pick me up or I need a friend that I call when times are tough. We can't ever relegate that relationship with the Holy Spirit to that sort of level. It's all in or nothing. It does, though, take me a bit of time sometimes to realise that this is an opportunity to fellowship with the Holy Spirit when troubles rise up. Heather often says to me, and it's just an amazing thing, she's picked it up herself, but what is God trying to teach us through this? And why it fits in here is because he says, count it a sheer gift. A gift is useless unless you unpack it. So a problem that comes your way, so often we're trying to pray them away, bind up the Satan, the devil, the Beasley Bubby. And it's actually God going, actually, I'm trying to give you a gift, you thicko. Just take it and open it and see what's inside because it's going to bless your life. I know God doesn't speak through gritted teeth. See, the inference is not when you get attacked on all sides, you will receive an immediate download of stupendous, overwhelming joy. That isn't the inference. The language is God is setting you up for joy. If you, if you wait and unpack the gift, he is setting you up for joy. The other week, Heather and I were sitting on the front porch, uh, as, we, as we do, and I was, we were talking about James, and I was saying about some stuff, that was, some problems, problems that I was perceiving that were real. And I was saying to her that you know, I can't see the joy in this. Um, and I'm not feeling the joy. But as I began to say that, to I realised that what God was saying was, hey, it's got to be, it, a Christian walk cannot be about, the, be about the immediate, about the right now. Because when you think about it, so much of the parables in the gospel were all about sowing a seed into the future. So we have to be seed sowers, and harvest comes once seed is sown, and it it grows up. We know that. You know, there's probably never been a time in history when people value more highly comfort over character. Because it's so easy to get comfortable. When things aren't going our way, when people upset us, there's just so many things we can do to make ourselves feel a bit happier. Emptier, but happier. See, as you know, my method of life is, thank you God, I can handle problems one thing at a time, but the last, just particularly the last four years, um, I've had to handle many different things often. And it's not the way, I don't enjoy that. You know, but it's, it's like you, you know, you sort of think, in a sense, when you're a teenager and that, you think, oh, you know, this is a big problem. And then you get married 
or you start work and then you, you realise actually I've got to juggle a few things. And then you get married, that's thrown in as well. And then you get kids and that's thrown in as well. And you're sort of juggling all sorts of things. And that's the way, the way life is. But I was saying to the team on Thursday night, you know, I've never had to grow up more or grow more than I have in the last four years. Um, I've been drawn way out, and Heather has too, out of our comfort zone, stretched into areas of leadership, love, kindness, patience that I've just thought weren't possible. Um, and in areas of irritability and anger and unforgiveness and frustration, I've had to quickly walk away from. Um, sometimes I haven't been as quick as I should have been, but I've got quicker and quicker because I've realised that I just can't let that stuff pull me back. I just can't let it hold on to me because we've got a life to live and we've got a job to do and we only have a certain amount of years on this earth and this stuff just cannot get to us and hold us back. We have to move forward. Let me say this. If you want to be a culture changer, you'll have to get used to discomfort, the discomfort of expansion living outside of your comfort zone. You're going to have to live sold out for God, surrendered as someone who influences culture for good, who creates good culture. That will, And when we do that, when we live for culture, it actually helps us to say no to poor culture. It helps us to say no to poor culture like gossip. It helps us to say no to poor culture like self-promotion or looking after number one. You see, gossip will die in a greenhouse that is dedicated to growing encouragement. Self-promotion will die in a greenhouse dedicated to setting up others for win. Looking after number one will die in a greenhouse given over to growing people with servant hearts. So that that stuff will get choked out. It's not that you're not welcome if you gossip. It's just that you won't feel comfortable and you'll either stop it or leave. Now, I know that sounds very draw the line, but you know what I'm saying. Because you won't be able to propagate that stuff. You'll want to change because of the healthy culture and it's a great place to grow. What if we did face life with a Romans 8:24 I think it is we know that all things work together for good for those who love God and are called according to his purpose so that tests and trials we have that as our backdrop and actually this has only come to actually strengthen me grow me help me One thing God has been speaking to us as a church is that we need to lean into the season and to do the work appropriate for this season. And here's the equation I believe that James presents. The tests and challenges of life bring you an opportunity to use patience. And when patience is sown into your life, the crop you reap is maturity, balance and wholeness. And I want to tell you, this nation has never more needed maturity, balance, and wholeness. This generation 
has never more needed maturity, balance and wholeness. This region, this Morton Bay region has never more needed maturity, balance and wholeness. We live in a region where the norm is dysfunctional, dysfunctional multiple marriages and relationships. The norm is broken families. We need a patience that we live in, not a patience we have on demand. We need, you see, one of the fruits of spirits is, is patience. One of the results of chasing after the Holy Spirit will be patience in our lives, the fruit of patience. Why do we need patience so much that, that James is talking about? Why? Because some tests and trials come and they go. Others can last a lifetime, and I don't know why. But you can't build your faith and trust in God around whether a test or a challenge is dealt with. Verse 5 to 8, if you don't know what you're doing, pray to the Father he loves to help. You'll get his help. This is, I mean, it preaches itself. If you don't know what you're doing, ask. When you think about it, our very first experience of Jesus was based on this very premise, I don't know what to do, help me. And yet somehow our Christianity becomes, I should know what to do because I've been doing this long enough now. When he's really saying, just lean back into me, ask of me and I'll give you wisdom. Why should our life be any different now? The world says, be strong. Never admit you need help. God says, lean into me. I'm going to give it to you if you ask. Just ask. A few years back, Fred said to me, oh, I think you need to speak to this pastor just to get some encouragement. And, and um, I got pretty desperate because I didn't know what I was doing in some things. And um, I tell you what, it, was, it wasn't actually embarrassing. It was more of a relief, but... To have to knock on someone's door who you don't know, have no relationship with and say, I actually just really need to hear an encouraging voice from another senior pastor. Sometimes we need to lose our pride. And and sometimes not even pride, it's just uh, a lack of ability to do it. But we need to rise up and go, you know what, I'm going after that. You know, we need to... I'm sorry, I didn't quite read the rest of that scripture. It talks about in there... People who worry their prayers are like wind-whip waves. Don't think you're going to get anything from the master that way. Adrift at sea, keeping all your options open. And that's such an important thing, you see, because we need to put our faith sails up. So... When opposition comes and problems come, we actually need to put sails up the mast so we can catch the wind. What are those sails? What is the sails that Heather and I have had to continually put up over the last four years in particular, but over our lifetime? You know, professional yachtsmen, they put up sails in a certain order, in a certain way. I tell you one of the sails we put up in our life, and it's the sail of... You're not, a, you're not against us, you're for us. And then we run up another one. Lord, we humble ourselves to hear you. We run that up the mast. 
then we run up we can't do this without you and that gets full of the Holy Spirit then we run up it might look like I'm surrounded but I'm surrounded by you if any man lacks wisdom let him ask God and he will give him wisdom in abundance and as we have done that in every situation our ship has slowly turned around and gone in the direction that God wanted it to and I want to challenge you this morning put the sails up humble yourself to God put the sails up allow him to speak in your situation rather than fighting him in your situation and let him allow you to turn your ship This is a great thought. When you're going through tough times, make a quality decision to submit to and cooperate with God. <coughs> I'm going to finish up because my voice is a bit... And I didn't get onto temptation. So I might have to do that tonight, but we will see. Um... What it is important to understand in, in temptation, because James deals with it separately, is God doesn't tempt us. We're tempted from without. We have desires that are in us. And then it does that graphic picture of it takes two to tango and you're drawn away by the desire. But we have to understand that temptation is not a sin. Temptation is not a sin. When temptation gets hold of your desire and you act on it, that is when you're taken out. And so you have to understand, and I've really simplified a chunk, but that the Holy Spirit is with us to stand against temptation. He is with us to strengthen our godly desires. You see, you are a new creation and you have godly desires. I went through a season in my Christianity where I believed that I had a wicked heart and blah, 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 blah. But the truth is we have godly desires. We're a new creation. It's not you will be a new creation when you go to heaven. You're a new creation now. So your desire is towards him. It's not towards sin. And the good news is that the Holy Spirit is here too set you up for a win. Let's stand together. <coughs> In closing, he says, so my very dear friends, don't get thrown off course. Every desirable and beneficial gift comes out of heaven. The gifts are rivers of light cascading down from the Father of light. There is nothing deceitful in God, nothing two-faced, nothing fickle. He brought us to life using the true word, showing us off as the crown of all his creatures. That's what he thinks of you. He shows you off as the crown and glory of all his creatures, all of his creation. He's saying, hey guys, don't let anything throw you off course. Don't, don't get rocked out of, out of you. you know, don't get knocked off your feet. Don't let anything throw you off course. Challenges, tests, temptations, your lack of ability, your inexperience. 
everything, he's summing up, everything he sends your way is set to set you up for win. Sheer gift. Heather and I have taken to looking at each other. So we get a really bad phone call or something. And I, we put the phone down and go, sheer gift. <laughs> but what he's saying in that last phrase of those verses, he's not trying to trip you up. He's not trying to trip you up. He's not trying to trip you up. And the enemy loves to come and bring that filter in our minds that says, God isn't for you. He's against you. He's, he, he, he's trying to, that's old thinking. He's not trying to trip you up or hold out on you. He's not playing with your life. Far from it. He sums it up like this in the final sentence. He brought us to life using the true word, showing us off as the crown of all his creatures. See, he boasts about you and me, and one day he's going to say to you and me, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into my eternal joy. Amen. Thank you, man.